0: Well, hey everybody, my name is Bob Bryce and I'm one of the pastors here at Grace. And I just wanna say a special welcome to you today and thank you for being here. And you know, as we continue to uh, navigate through this time of social distancing, I just wanna ask would you consider hosting a watch party at your house Uh, maybe you could just start by just inviting even one person or or maybe one family to your house to just participate in a worship service together and then and then maybe even uh, share a meal afterwards so that we can just continue to figure out new ways uh, how to connect with one another even when we're feeling pretty spread apart still uh, I, I would appreciate that. I think you would appreciate that. So thank you for, for giving it a try. And Thanks to those of you who are already doing it. Well, as I've mentioned to you before, early in my career life, I traveled all the time. And, and when you travel a lot, you just sort of come to expect that there are going to be things that just don't go right. Well, one time my plane was late again, and I missed my connecting flight. I think it was in Chicago that time. And by the time I finally got up to the counter to sort it out, I was already pretty frustrated. And then the agent starts telling me, you know, there's nothing that she can do to help me at all. No flights until tomorrow, no meal vouchers, no hotel vouchers, or or really anything at all that even remotely resembles them trying to take responsibility for the mistakes that they made that caused this problem for me. And so the more I asked for help, the more irritated (laughs) the agent became. Finally, she said, look, there's nothing we can do should just get over it. So as one last ditch attempt to at least feel like I had gotten some kind of satisfaction, I asked, well, can I at least see if I could get a better seat assignment on my flight for tomorrow then? So she asked me for my boarding pass. And of course... I couldn't find it, so I was fumbling all around, and finally she just asked me for my name. Now, this, this was before 9-11 and all, all this kind of airport security, and so uh, I just gave her my name, Robert Charles Bryce. But she must not have heard me quite correctly, because after she typed it in, all of a sudden, she had an instant Attitude adjustment. Instant. She started apologizing left and right, thanking me for my patience, telling me that that she didn't realize that I was such an important person, which, of course, I didn't know either, so this was quite a shock to me, too, but it was great. Turns out that when she was looking for my information in the computer, she had accidentally selected my dad instead of me. We have the same middle and last names, and we both lived in Iowa, so she just made a mistake, clicked on him instead of me. Now, my dad traveled all the time as well at that point. But unlike me, he was actually a big deal. He had all kinds of status with the airline. He traveled so much that that he was at the very, very top of whatever the loyalty program was. And, And now this woman was thinking that I'm him. Well, then all of a sudden the vouchers start rolling out. The seat assignments are getting upgraded. Uh, Even my boarding passes are printed out in a nice gold color instead of that paltry faded blue. She even had somebody grab my bags and and walk me over to the red carpet club so I could could wait there while she figured out some better travel arrangements for me. I, I honestly felt like a celebrity. And so I was feeling like a really big deal. Uh, enjoying myself in the red carpet club, right up until she came back in and found me and let me know that she'd made a big mistake. Dang it. Back to cattle class I go. But just think about how much changed for me that whole situation. Just simply by the name alone. When my name was Robert, I was just another nobody. But when I had my dad's name, well, then all of a sudden I had power that I didn't have before. Because names have power. Names have power. At least they do to some degree anyway. And of course, some more than others. And while we might at first think this sounds kind of strange, we know it's true. Because we live every day in the reality that it is true. Because as people get to know us, then our name becomes fused with the experiences that people have had of us and the thoughts that they think about us. So much so that, that anytime they hear our name, they are instantly affected by just hearing it, positively or negatively, depending on what the experience is like. But, but the point is that names have power. And this was thought to be even more true in the ancient world. Because at that point, names were not just sort of, you know, picked for novelty or anything like that. This was taken much more seriously. It was a big deal if you had somebody's real name, because if you had their real name, that meant that you also had kind of captured some of their very essence. And you could even start to influence and maybe even control their destiny just because you knew their real name. And while we might quite not think of names the same way now in our culture today, there are other parts of the world that names are still very much a very big deal. But when you know somebody's name, even today in in the good old United States of America, when you know somebody's name, you have access to at least a little bit of the power that goes along with whoever that person is. I think about my boys, you know, if, if they tell each other to do something, neither one of them will take the other one seriously. And so they very quickly learned early on in their lives that when the request comes with mom said or dad said, then all of a sudden there's a higher chance of instant compliance because they take things more seriously when they, when they know it's coming from either me or from Tammy. So it stands to reason that when we use someone's name, then we're calling upon the power that we otherwise don't have. When we we use someone's name, we call upon the power that we otherwise don't have. And this happens all over the place. Think about it, you know, so-and-so said this. Well, you know, maybe we don't pay that much attention, but if if so-and-so is your boss or your spouse or even your close friend, then that information starts to carry a different weight just because of the name that it's attributed to. And so it shouldn't surprise us that we can also misuse and abuse the power that comes along with someone else's name. Especially when we try to use someone else's status or their influence to accomplish our own agenda and present it as if it was theirs. We sort of co-opt or take over. Or or when we try to control situations uh, to, to benefit us or to be in our favor, and we do it by invoking someone else's name. Well, believe it or not, God has something to say about all this. And and even more specifically, Jesus talks about it in the way he taught us to pray in the Lord's prayer. He makes it clear to us that we're to recognize and appreciate the name of God and to treat it differently than we do all other names. And so as we continue in our journey series today, we're going to explore exactly what Jesus means by all this and and what it means to us for how we live our lives uh, in relationship with God and in relationship with one another. But before we dive in and and get into the details, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for being a good God who is merciful to us, that you don't give up on us, but instead, Lord, you continue to make us new, to bring us into new life. So we ask right now by the power of your spirit that you touch our hearts, that you speak words of your wisdom into our lives and and may it transform who we are, that we might become more like your son, Jesus. We just ask, Lord, that, that you continue to do your work and have your way in our lives, that we come to know you more and follow in your ways. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, last week was the first week of this seven week series uh, where we're really diving in and looking at what these individual petitions, these individual phrases in the Lord's Prayer really mean, and how we can help, uh, or how that can help us understand this prayer that Jesus taught his disciples and us to pray. Not just to learn those words, but, th- but he's teaching us how to pray. And so last week we talked about how Jesus teaches us to approach God as our father, our father. And and, and how approaching God as our father is is a reflection of God's deep desire to have a personal relationship with us. But this week we're going to see that, that personal, while personal is certainly important, personal doesn't mean casual. And even though God wants us to come to him as children come to their father, that doesn't mean that we do it in, you know, like a completely informal or irreverent way. God is not our buddy, uh, but our culture would try to tell us that this is the case, you know, it reduces God to just kind of our buddy, but he's the God of the universe. And so there's a balance here that we must understand That happens between personal and reverent or respectful. And so the prayer opens in Matthew chapter 6 verse 9 with our Father in heaven, yes. But what we're going to talk about today is what immediately follows that. What immediately follows this, this approaching God as our Father is hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Now, this is a strange sounding phrase to us because I'll bet many, if not most of us, are not sure at all what hallowed means. Because let's be honest, hallowed is not a common word that we use today. And so it's, it's not something that just automatically sort of makes sense to us. We have to think about this. But for something to be hallowed, what it means by that is that it means to be set apart. It means to be different than everything else. Uh, To be hallowed is is something that is truly special and like no other. Uh, In other words, uh, for us, in this prayer, we are to recognize and honor God's name as holy. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. When it comes to God's name, we are to recognize that his name is holy. It is powerful all by itself, in and of itself. It's special and it's like no other name that has ever been or ever will be. So when we pray, hallowed be your name, it is a confession or an acknowledgement of God's holiness, God's power, God's cosmic divine presence. It's not that God needs us to tell him or somehow to remind him that his name is holy. I mean, God does not need that from us but it's more of a confession that we believe and we trust that it is holy, that we recognize that God's name is powerful and and that there is no other name like it. And so then the question of course becomes, well, what is God's name? That's what we need answered, right? Because if we're to recognize and believe that God's name is holy, then we'd probably better know what it is. Well, it's not that simple. It's just not. And to help us understand this, uh, we're going to look in the chapter or in the book of Exodus, which is all the way almost at the beginning of your Bible. We're going to look at Exodus chapter three. And so turn to Exodus chapter three, and we're going to look at, uh, at what this means to us. Because as Pastor Mike talked about this a few weeks ago, he talked about this, this story of God's call to Moses. And so in this, where we pick this up, Moses and God are having a discussion about Moses partnering with God to set God's people free, the Israelites. He was going to set them free. And so in chapter three, verse 10, God says to Moses, So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, well, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, well, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, well, what's his name? Then what should I tell them? And again, keeping in mind what we know about the importance of names in the ancient world, this all starts to make sense. But we should realize that Moses is not just asking like a totally innocent question here, you know, like, oh, can I tell him who's calling? It's more than that because Moses wants to know God's name because Moses is afraid. He doesn't want to do what God is asking him to do. He's he's trying to get out of it. He's trying to control the situation here. And so he wants to know God's name because he wants more power. He wants more control in the situation. He's essentially looking for like uh, insurance. Uh, He's not able to just take it on faith that God is asking him to go. So God will work out the circumstances to do what is necessary. So he wants to use God's name Because again, when we use someone else's name, then we inherit the power we otherwise don't have. We start to take on the essence and the power of that person by using their name. But God is not about to give Moses that kind of power and control in this situation or in any other situation for that matter. Not because he's trying to, you know, like be mean to Moses, but because Moses has no idea what he's really asking for. So so God gives him something. He gives him something. It's very strange, but he gives him something in in verse 14. So it's kind of like, well, you want to name Moses? Well, here's something. This is what God says. I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Got to admit, it does sound rather strange, doesn't it? I am who I am. It sounds more like uh, something Popeye would say rather than God, right? But an equally valid translation of this Hebrew is, I will be who I will be. Or, or maybe uh, I will be present however I choose to be present. That, that's kind of the essence of what God is saying here. Now this, this is far more interesting because it, it basically boils down to God telling Moses, look, you can't possibly ever comprehend how big my name really is. So you're going to know who I am, or at least more about who I am based on what I'm about to do. But then God goes on in verse 15 to give a shortened version of this phrase, I will be who I will be, and and gives Moses a kind of a, a more personal name That is to represent this. And so in verse 15, God says, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. And so that that word there, the Lord in your Bible, depending on which translation you have, you'll notice that Lord in this verse is in all capital letters, L-O-R-D. And every time you see the the Lord in all caps, and you'll see it all throughout your Bible over 6,500 times, you should know that what's actually behind that L-O-R-D capitals is this personal name, this, this shortened phrase that God gave to Moses. And in the Hebrew language, it's just four Consonants, four consonants stuck together with no vowels. And and so in Hebrew it's Yod He Vav He. Yod He Vav He. Or in English, the letters are Y-H W H. -H Y-H-W-H. Now, no one is really all that sure how exactly this name is to be pronounced it's, it's a very hotly debated thing so some say and this probably sounds familiar some say it's to pre- be pronounced as Yahweh others say it's Yehovah or Jehovah and, and there are many other people that say all kinds of things in between but the fact is that we don't really know exactly how to pronounce it because as time went on the Jewish people and, and this is still true to this day The Jewish people came to believe that the name of God is in fact so holy and so sacred and should never be misused to the point that it should never even be said out loud. And so to this day, they they will not read it out loud or say it out loud. And instead, they replace it. uh, Tradition has it with replacing uh, that word, that name with other names for God, like Adonai, which means God Almighty. Or, or to just use the word, the Hebrew word Hashem, which instead just simply means the name. So they don't want to say that name out loud. Too holy. But I want us to be able to understand this, because this can start to sound confusing. Regardless of the correct pronunciation or how we say it, or if we're even correct at all, God knows when we are referring to him and he hears us just the same. The essence of his name is that he wants us to clearly understand this. He is the God who rescues and redeems his people from their slavery. He is the God who rescues and redeems people. From their slavery. That's what he wants us to know about his essence, about who he is, that that he is the one and only covenant-keeping God who brings all things into existence and redeems them for his glory. So whether we call upon his name uh, as God, or or Father, or or Lord, or Creator, or any of the other ways that we see God referred to in these different kinds of names all throughout the Bible, we can be assured that that God hears us. God hears us, and he has the, the power in himself to accomplish absolutely anything. And so he wants us to call upon his name because it shows that we trust and we believe that he is more than capable, more than able to deal with whatever challenges we face. And so one part of praying, hallowed be your name, is recognizing that God is holy, that God is holy and powerful and and able to do the impossible. And confessing that he is the one who redeems People from their slavery is part of what we're doing. But we're also praying at the very same time, we're also praying that God's name be made holy in our lives and in our world. That his name be made holy to us, It's not just hallowed be your name, but when you actually look at the way the Greek is written, it should be read, let your name be hallowed. Uh, Or or maybe a a more specific way to say that would be, God cause your name to be holy. Cause your name to be holy. In other words, it's not just a confession or an acknowledgement. It's also a request as well. It's a request Uh, Not just praise and adoration, but a request for God to make his name holy in and through us to the point that the rest of the world takes notice because we are, after all, God's messengers. That's why God chose Israel and set Israel apart to be his messengers to the world. And so now by extension, we are his messengers. We are God's billboards or his, his advertisements for his holy name as people adopted into God's own family, we are to recognize this relationship with our loving father. And we are to live lives that reflect his holiness in us. So the question is, how are we actually doing at that? Could could somebody accuse us of false advertising? Because are we making our own claims and following our our own agendas and then just sort of attributing them to God? Are we trying to control situations both in our lives and in our world by invoking the name of God in ways that misuse and abuse his holy name? Are we uncertain about things and then try to tack on God's name to include extra power to get our way? Because this kind of behavior does not go unnoticed. God is very, very, very serious about protecting and keeping his holy name. All throughout the Old Testament, we, we see these repeated cycles with God's people. We see this in even our world today, but God rescues his people, cares for his people, and sets them apart, again, to be his messengers. Not not just once but he does this over and over again because his people keep turning away from him and then they keep misusing and abusing his name and his his very essence and each time this turning away from god and not honoring his name and and uh, and not respecting and, and not keeping his name holy has dire consequences And so when God allowed the Babylonians to to capture and sort of take over, take over his chosen people and bring them into exile in Babylon, it was clear what had gone wrong. And we know this, there's many places, but one of the places we can really see the clarity of this is, is in the prophet Ezekiel. Ezekiel records this statement from God to God's people in Ezekiel chapter 36, 36 verse 23, God says this. I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations. The name you have profaned among them. The name you have profaned among them. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord. God is saying this about himself. And then he says, when I am proved holy through you before their eyes. Now This is This is really actually pretty fascinating. I don't know if you caught this or not, but this is is really an amazing statement from God. He's he's basically saying, hey, look, you have really screwed this up. You have have dishonored my name to the point that you've damaged my reputation. You're you're not being my messengers in a good way. Instead of honoring and keeping my name holy, you've instead profaned it. But then it's interesting because he goes on and says that he, the Lord, Again, it's that special name. He, the Lord, is taking control of the situation once again. Once again, God will be the one who rescues his people and redeems them and brings them out of slavery. And he's going to do it in a way that proves his holiness to the nations. In other words, God's action will become his own advertisement. His name will be made holy because the people didn't keep it holy, but God will make sure that it is kept holy. He will do what the people cannot do. But the amazing thing is that the the good news doesn't, doesn't just stop there. The, the promise isn't just for that particular situation only. The promise is actually much, much bigger because just a few verses later in verse 26, God goes on to say this. and This might sound more familiar. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. And so it's obvious that God knows that living in ways that honor and keep his name, even though that's certainly the goal, but to do that in a way that keeps and honors his name as holy will continue to be a struggle for his people. It was a struggle for his people, then it's a struggle for us today. But he's also disclosing in this that There's a bigger plan underway. There's there's something bigger going on. And and God is working on a way to deal with this problem once and for all. It's no longer going to be something that his people must try to accomplish through their own will. but, But at some point, God himself will intervene in a new way so that his name is kept holy and his people will continue to be his messengers in a brand new way. And so this bigger plan would eventually culminate in the promised one, the one who was said to be coming all the way from the beginning of the Bible. There's one coming, the ultimate redeemer. How do we know this? Well, because just when it pleased him, God took on flesh and came to live amongst his people. And he became known to us as Jesus or Yeshua in Hebrew, which means the Lord saves. means the Lord saves. Again, the Lord, this special name. In other words, his name itself tells us the very essence of who he is, who he has always been, and who he always will be. He is, he is the God who rescues and redeems his people from their slavery. And this Redeemer, this ultimate Redeemer, this final Redeemer, comes and his name is Jesus. And this time, through the death and resurrection of Jesus, God has fulfilled his promise to put his very spirit into all those who trust him and believe in him and call upon his name, to give his people a new heart, one made of flesh, to take out an old stone heart and give a new heart, to make people brand new. And so no one that calls upon the name of Jesus will ever be put to shame. By his name, we are saved from the slavery of our sins. By the name of Jesus, we are saved from the slavery of our sins. The connection to this name that God gave to Moses all the way back thousands and thousands and thousands of years previous is evident in the way that Jesus refers to himself all throughout the gospel of John. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gateway to salvation or the doorway to salvation. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth and the life. I am the true vine. Each of these I am statements is a connection back to the very promise in God's given name to Moses. I will be who I will be. I will be present however I will be present. Which means that God is just too big to be contained inside of of one little name. But it's through his name through his name and by his spirit that we are given the power to live lives that honor and magnify and praise and, and reveal his holy name to a lost and broken world. He wants us to call upon his name, not, not to call upon it and misuse it and abuse it and try to, try to do it in a way that, that works out our own purposes or for our own gain or anything like that but so that the world may know who he is and how much he loves us and how far he was willing to go just to rescue and redeem us and claim us as his very own. Hallowed be your name. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the promise that you continue to give to us that you are who you say you are, that you will be whoever you need to be in order for your will to be accomplished. Lord, we thank you that you have made promises to us and you have fulfilled those promises in the person of Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior, the Redeemer, that you have made all things right. And even though we know, Lord, that there's still work that you are doing and that it's not all complete, We hold that it is complete in faith in Jesus already. And we pray that your name be made holy in and through us, that we might continue to be a light of who you are in this lost and broken world so that others come to know you and that you may put your spirit in them as well so that we continue to make your name known and regard your name as holy powerful, mighty. We thank you for making us new by the power you have in your name above all names. And We know that to be Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen.